Ion 2020 episode 205. Have 2020 Vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. Hey everybody, Ray Eaton here. Bringing you The Debate Show, and this is Ion 2020, which is your source for the news, the related events, the things that go on in the 2020 election, and specifically the things that went on in the debate tonight. So it is late in the evening on the debate's over at 11 o'clock, and it's late in the evening, and I am going to go ahead and record this show for you, make sure that this thing is dropping for you first thing in the morning, so when you tune your ears in, you'll be able to hear what happened with the debate, because most people... Maybe watch an hour of it. Some people watch two hours of it. Only the die-hard true blue people that uh, have to do commentary on these things, like myself, uh, probably listens to the whole thing. And unfortunately, I don't have any beer when I was watching this thing. So I, uh, I went out for dinner tonight at a Mexican restaurant. I actually stayed out of town because my wife can't stand politics. So, and she can't, really can't stand democratic politics in the first place. So usually in order to protect her from having to deal with all that stuff, especially during the debates and everything, I'll record the show, or I'll watch the debates, and I'll stay at a hotel. So I went out and worked at Raleigh, North Carolina area, uh, and then tonight I'm doing, I watch the debate, staying at a hotel, and uh, record the show, and then tomorrow I'll work up this way again, and then I'll go ahead and uh, head, head back home. But in order to protect her from this stuff, not protect her obviously, but in order to keep her from having to listen to uh, my commentary on the debates and having to watch the debates in the first place, or you know have me separated in a different room watching the debates, we I go ahead and just uh, stay out of town. It just makes it easier on all of us. And uh, so tonight I went out for dinner at a Mexican restaurant and had a had a couple beers and everything. But I got so stuffed, man, and uh, I I just uh, I decided not to bring a couple beers back to the room and watch the debate but nothing better than watching the debate and drinking beers right at least it takes the edge off because sometimes i just want to scream at the tv like how are you gonna pay for this stuff and you know all the all the things that you would say when everyone's promising the world and uh, we have a country that's uh a trillion dollar deficit every year and 22 trillion dollars in debt come on how are they gonna pay for it all but anyway uh, this is your debate show. I just want to make sure that you guys are aware of that. And uh, we will be delving into all of the politics and all the things that happen during a debate. It was exciting, sort of. Uh, if you're a Democrat, you're probably really excited about all the stuff that was talked about. But if you're like a Republican or a Libertarian, um, not much uh, not, not much too exciting for you, I guess. But there was a few key moments, and we'll go ahead and go over those, all right? Uh, but like I say, I always say thank you for joining, joining me today. And... Uh, Go ahead, if you can, subscribe to the show. If you want to hear more in the next couple of weeks, I will be put, I put on a show every every day, Monday through Friday. And uh, some of them are short, some of them are long. I just try to cover topics that are relevant for the day, as well as I try to cover some of the topics that, um, specifically about like the candidates and their policies and stuff like that. So if it's your first time listening, because I do get a lot of new listeners during the debate episodes, 
then go ahead and subscribe to the show so you can hear it tomorrow. I also have like 204 shows before this one. That's right, 204. Don't start at the beginning, please. That first episode, that first five episodes, I th- actually I think I recorded like five or six episodes in one day. And I was just covering like a bunch of different candidates and stuff. Uh, specifically, like Elizabeth Warren was the first one that I did. And uh, they just were not good. The sound was terrible. I didn't have any, I didn't understand how to do recording in the first place. But you could expect that, I would hope. I w- I'm not a professional. As you can tell, I stutter and I jumble my words sometimes. So you could tell that I'm not a professional podcaster. It's not my job. It's, I'm not even a speaker by trade. I'm a salesperson by trade. So, I guess I'm a communicator by trade since I'm a sales professional, but I've never done podcasts before, and I sometimes like sort of feel like a fool sitting there talking to nobody in a room, uh, like I am right now in a hotel room just talking to nobody, and just kind of making up my words as I go. Sometimes I do take some notes as well, but uh, anyway, don't listen to those first couple ones, but you know what, once you get past about episode 20 or so i think all of them are pretty have some pretty good meat to them as well as uh, good content so go ahead and check those out and then uh, keep on coming back uh listen to the show okay but let's go ahead and delve into the things that were talked about during the debate because there was some exciting moments there was some interesting things that were said but specifically i want to talk about like a lot of the uh issues that they talked about and, th- and critique those from a libertarian perspective for you guys all right so let's go ahead and uh, jump right in So the first thing I have to say about this particular ba- debate is that hopefully I can have a very good show about this thing because it was an absolute snooze fest, okay? Like, there wasn't a lot of shots taken. None of the candidates really took any shots at each other. Uh, there was a couple times where it happened. I'll talk about those as well. But there wasn't, like, that key moment where you were like, okay, that person just really took somebody on. And it's going to be rising in the polls, like with Kamala Harris in the original debate when she took on Joe Biden, or when Tulsi Gabbard took on Kamala Harris, or, you know, like those specific moments where somebody calls out another candidate and is able to really look like a golden child at that point, like they're, like they just really called somebody out. So there was one point where it happened slightly during this debate, but three hours of this debate was absolutely almost impossible to get through. And I say this every time I felt like I should be stabbing my eyes out, you know, and I couldn't even watch it. At some point, I almost thought about my, just turning the sh- turning the debate off and starting this show early and just not doing the last part of it because it really was... A lot of the same questions that you're going to get every single time. They tried to change things up. Like, the first topic they talked about was the impeachment. Uh, Donald Trump's impeachment. Like, that was the first couple things, the questions that they were asking all the candidates and stuff. But uh, it was really rough, man. There was one... I do want to talk about this, though. There was one commercial that was going on during the debate. So every hour or so, they'd stop for a commercial... So I wanted to talk about this because I thought it was absolutely funny. Um, it's called the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And they had a commercial on the commercial breaks. Most of y'all, if you watched the debate, you probably were taking a leak or something. I don't know. Uh, but I was watching the commercial and I just heard it. He says, yeah, my name is uh, Ron Livingston and I am a 
avid atheist or something like that. And then he, at the very end, he closes a closes the commercial. So the commercial was about, hey, we need to keep government out of or religion out of government and all that. But then he says at the end, and I, why would you say this at the end of a commercial? It just completely makes everybody tune out because most people believe you should have a separation of church and state, right? I think that's a pretty normal thing with the United States, but a lot of uh, Christian conservatives, maybe, maybe they want to institute some kind of a state religion or something. I don't know, but you do also have cities and towns and so forth that have like the Ten Commandments outside the courthouse, which if you do technically want to keep church and state separate, then you should probably get those things off of the uh, courthouse grounds as well, or turn it over to private property or something somehow where it's now owned or maintained by owned and maintained and property taxes are paid on that particular spot where the 10 commitments are at or something like there's got to be a way around it uh, to make it work but anyway freedom from religion foundation and at the very end if he would have just stopped with you know we're here trying to make sure that people are aware and we're, we're working towards an effort to keep this church and state separated. But then at the very end, he closes, he says, My name is Ron Livingston, a devout atheist, not afraid of burning in hell. And I was just like, what? Why would he even say that? So anyway, that's a little bit of comic relief for you, though, right? Because uh, that, <laughs> that is the quickest way to uh, turn everybody off from your from your message even i bet even like the most devout atheists would do would be turned off by that particular conversation or that statement as well it's just the weirdest thing um so one little key fact for the debate as well the next round of debates so the next round of debate is going to be in november and in december and for those two i believe <clears throat> the candidates are going to have to have sixty-five thousand individual donors and 3% in four national polls. And everybody that's on the debate stage tonight, except for Tulsi Gabbard, Julian, Julian Castro, Amy Klobuchar, and Beto O'Rourke, those four have not made the 165,000 individual donors and or the 3% in the polls. I'm surprised that Tom Steyer has actually had gotten the 3% of the polls or and the 65,000 votes or individual donors, but he has a hundred million dollars to work with. So I guess he, you know, he's can outspend anybody to make sure that that happens. I guess he'd go buy some votes if he needs to, who knows? But anyway, to the debate, it was a snooze fest, but here's, I'm going to do my best guys. I'm going to do my best, but I'm not a Democrat, so maybe to the Democrats it wasn't a snooze fest. Maybe they were just getting excited about all the things that these people were talking about. I don't know. <clears throat> the debate starts off, so I was watching the first part, like maybe like a half hour before the debate. No, it was more like 15, 20 minutes before the debate started. You had the Democratic National Committee, I guess the president of the Demo Democratic National Committee, gets on stage and he was just talking like the democrats are like the solution to the world's problems and they always have been and the democrat the democrats are the greatest and all democrats are for you and all republicans are terrible so 
But that's how the parties have to act, right? That's just the way that they do it. So, that I mean, that's neither here nor there. He's obviously biased, and I'm sitting there watching it like, yeah, neither party is probably the solution to any of these problems, but hey, whatever. Um, I was just kind of laughing at it, because I just kind of listened to these people, and I'm just like, in, in one ear or the other, because they're a bunch, bunch, bunch of idiots. But they start the debates, and there's no opening remarks, which I think was kind of weird. Um, I remember when, I, when Tulsi Gabbard sent out an email... And it said specifically, I'm thinking about not going to the debates. I'm thinking about boycotting the debate. Um, I sent an email to the campaign. Not that I have any influence or anything like that. It was probably just went into a mailbox and they were like, okay, whatever, one of 50,000 or whatever. And um, But I said, listen, you should do the debate because you're going to have a minute as an opening remark, a minute as a closing remark, and maybe a couple minutes in between to make some good points about anti-war message, about how they're um, trying to do a hit pieces on you and things like that. So you shouldn't boycott the debates. Oh, and you could call it the two-party system for what it is. Or you, I, I just kind of said that. So she ended up going on the stage. She ended up not boycotting the debate. <clears throat> but they didn't give anybody an opening remark. Which I thought was kind of weird. Usually during these debates they give them at least an opening remark to uh, let them introduce themselves. But I guess all of them already introduced themselves except for Tom Steyer anyway. So suppose that's not, um, that's neither here nor there. But I think it was open up the Pandora's box if they allowed all these people just to have that first minute without a question. Or without any direction. Especially like Tulsi Gabbard who they know is pissed off about all the BS that they did to her over the last uh, over the last week and a half or so. I think they published like two or three hit pieces over the course of about a week and a half time on her in the New York Times, which was really, really strange, I thought, that they would do that. So, anyway. <clears throat> Excuse me. So then, you have... Uh, th here's some thoughts. That I, I kind of just started typing down some thoughts and stuff about the per particular debate as well. So let me go through those before I get into like the actual, the meat of the debate. So I swear to you, Bernie Sanders is just trying to pass the torch over to Elizabeth Warren. There was multiple times when they both are like nodding in unison and saying, yeah, I agree with him. She, he agrees with me. She's like, yeah, I agree with Bernie Sanders. And, and uh, he agrees with me on, like she would actually say, he agrees with me on this, this, and this. Like they are both the same like they they kind of walk in lockstep maybe elizabeth warren is slightly to the right of bernie sanders but only on the thing that in him is saying that she's a capitalist and he's not or something but they're both for like a medicare for all forced medicare for all they're both for setting it up so that there's no payments it's exactly what bernie sanders's plan is no payments no co-pays no nothing right so but they are in lockstep together but I think that Bernie Sanders is trying to, like, they're both at a point where he has 22% of the vote or so, she has 25, 26% of the vote. Like, if he just dropped out and, and, you know, christened her, she would end up being the front runner dominantly over everybody else. And then that would propel her into January, February, and March. So if he just got out, it would, and he he's not losing anything by getting out because they both agree on everything. They just basically said it like, 
ten times during this debate. It was like, I don't know if y'all watched the debate, and I don't know if you guys noticed it, but to me, I was just like, holy cow, these two are just in lockstep. So I think he's just trying to pass the torch over to Warren. Um, maybe he'll do it over the course of the next couple of debates, I don't know, because his health, that was one thing that I noticed, though, his health looks fine. The dude looked normal on stage, he came walking out, looked just as normal as he always does, not keeling over in pain, not, like, you know, making any weird sounds or anything like that, like, just the same guy as he always is. Same person on stage, just, uh, talking about how the top one-tenth, the one percent need to be text and taken out and put in prison and all that stuff, you know? So, um, he was fine. The other thing that I noticed is that everyone knows that Elizabeth Warren is a threat. Like, she's the rising star. She's the one that is moving up in the polls. She's actually the one that is in a position right now where she is pulling as high, if not higher, than Joe Biden, right? So, everyone knows that. And then, uh, Pete Buttigieg and uh, Amy Klobuchar and uh, Kamala Harris went went after her on several occasions, several occasions, and uh, they both were trying to take little low blows at her. They were chill, they were I mean legitimate things, like the way that she um, sidesteps the question when it comes to, like Medicare for all, how it's going to be paid for, is it going to be taxes or not? Like she won't say the word tax. She won't say the words that you're going to have to tax people for it. She continues to refer to it as the costs. Their costs won't. Their overall costs won't go up and stuff. But that's it. So, uh, but they are taking these little shots at her. And uh, the thing, like, the one other thing that I noticed is that Joe Biden did not take any shots. Like, he is trying to remain above the fray. I think in his mind, he's thinking to himself, let these people just, you know, beat up on each other. Like, the more they beat up on Elizabeth Warren, the better it is for him, right? But he doesn't have to do it. He doesn't need to take the shots. So, during the entire debate, he didn't really take any shots at Elizabeth Warren, I think they tried to coax him into it a few times, but it never happened, so, uh, that was that, and then, um, this is the, so there was two people that kind of had a consistent message throughout the debate that they tried to weave into their questions and stuff, and I don't know if it was a psychological thing or not, but, um, Pete Buttigieg, he kept on hearkening back to this thing, and it was like, we're, we need to envision a post-Trump world, we need to envision what it'll be like on the morning that you wake up and Donald Trump is not the president anymore. What will it be like? What will it be like? Who do we want as our leader? Like, when the dust settles, who do we want as our leader? Who do we want as the voice for America? Like, it was just the weirdest thing, but he kept on uh, putting it, putting those things in there. And I don't know if it worked out very well for him. I didn't think it did, but maybe Democrats think differently than libertarians do. That's the only thing I could think of. Uh, but it was kind of hard to grasp, so anyway... Um, and then the other person was um, Cory Booker, who kept on, with every question that they asked him, he would kind of bring it back to, every person on this stage will do better than the person that's in the presidency right now, Donald Trump. What we need to do and realize is that all this fighting amongst us doesn't really help out in the messaging. What we need to do is find the person who's going to be the best leader for America because any one of us will do better than Donald Trump, but we're not looking for just anyone. We're looking for the best person that's going to lead this country to the promised land or whatever. You know, like, he kept on saying things like that. Um, 
trying to be more inspirational and stuff. I, I don't know that it came off as well either because most of this debate was them saying the same old things that they always say. There wasn't a lot of bickering back and forth. And I think everyone was taking the safe path pretty much. Um, except for Tulsi Gabbard, and I'll get into that in a little while as well, okay? The first hour... Okay, let me let, actually let me get into this this stuff first. Uh, free stuff promised. So there's all kinds of things that were like free stuff promised or promises that they said that they're going to have and stuff like that. Things that they're going to give you, right? Uh, obviously, the first one that came up was Medicare for all, long-term care for retirees. So one of the candidates says that we're looking at a we're in a world right now where we have a lot of retirees that are retiring, and that at some point. There's going to be, we're going to have a need for better long-term care facilities for these people, better long-term care, uh, like more building and stuff like that, like more funding for long-term care as well. There is a lot of money going into long-term care facilities right now. Like if you drive around, there's just a ton, like for example, in Florida, you have a ton of like nice neighborhoods and communities like the villages in Florida, but then you have these Dell Webb communities that I see down there, and those are in South Carolina and North Carolina as well. It's for retirees who are retiring at like 65 or 55 to 65, maybe 70. They still have pretty good um, ability to get around and stuff, right? But And they have great health, so they can have the active lifestyle that a retiree will have. But the thing is, is think about those same people who have lots of money and they're going to be, you know, 15, 20 years from now, where are they going to be? They're going to end up being in a position where they're probably not going to, may, may not be able to be at home alone in Florida, way away from their kids, right? So if you go down to these neighborhoods like that, you see, a, and you actually see it around my neighborhood even, in South Carolina, where I had one assisted living facility get built about uh, three years ago, and they just added on to that and finished that up this year and then you have another one a mile down the road as an assisted living facility that's being built as well so there's lots and lots and lots of private money going into long term uh long long-term care facilities already anyway tons of money going in lots of capital being built for that but then again that money to pay for those has to come from somewhere as well and a lot of times it comes from that person's entire savings or whatever will go to that facility like there's different ways that you figure it out um but then they also get your entire medicare check as well or something like that so i'm not sure exactly how they're paid for but that's what one of the ones one was saying that they're going to give out free or look into long-term care facilities for retirees so then another one bernie sanders with his federal jobs guarantee another one said they want to give 200 dollars per month to disabled and social security or people that get Social Security or disability benefits, they want to give them $200 more per month on their checks. So, obviously, I think that was Elizabeth Warren. She wanted to do that. So, what she's looking to do is basically buy the votes. Okay, because any grandma who is um, getting her $1,200 a month from the government for Social Security, if you gave her, gave her a $200 raise to $1,400 a month, she's going to be ecstatic and happy, and she could go play bingo some more, you know? Um... Or whatever they do, I don't know. I mean, my mom does. My mom goes and does karaoke, actually. But uh, so they, she could go do karaoke more. She'd go down to the uh, 
the uh, Eagles Club and do some more karaoke or whatever she does. Um, one of them says they want a living wage for everybody. Another one says they want to put $50 billion into historically black colleges. I think that was Elizabeth Warren. Like, all this money, man, where is it going to come from, you know? Uh, oh, free child care and stuff like that. $6,000 tax credit from Kamala Harris. Uh, but then again, I'm okay with tax credits, to be honest with you. Like, I think that's a pretty pretty good good idea to do a $6,000 tax credit for people that make... I, I don't know what it was. I think she said it was like under $250,000 a year or something like that. You get a $6,000 tax credit. Um, I don't want to pay $6,000 more in taxes, so hey, I'll take it, you know? Um, we'll see, but I don't, I'm not exactly sure what the intricacies of, were of that. Another one, obviously Andrew Yang talks about the universal basic income. They actually brought that up as a topic as well during the debate, which I thought was interesting uh, that they brought that up specifically as the topic. And they're kind of contrasting it between universal basic income and uh, in the federal jobs guarantee that Bernie Sanders wanted to do. And Andrew Yang gave a pretty solid answer for that, the federal jobs guarantee versus the universal basic income. Um, and actually, I'll talk about that now. So, because the universal basic income, $1,000 per month and then versus a federal jobs guarantee and Andrew Yang said this. He says, if you were going to do a federal jobs guarantee, you're going to take away a lot of people's incentives to go find a regular job, and you're not going to have the same um, passion for that job. And then also, what about the people that are like his wife who are taking care of a child at home? They're not going to be able to take advantage of a federal jobs guarantee as well. So he says universal basic income is a better thing. It puts the money in, he says, and he keeps going back to this, put the money into the people's hands, let them do it with, with what they want to with it. Let them be responsible for their own actions because when it's in their hands, they will be responsible for it and they'll use it for the best use. That's about the most libertarian statement you can have for having zero taxes, I guess, you know, but he wants it for the whole idea of having $1,000 a month. I just don't know how a universal basic income will work. It is a better system, I guess, than um, the current welfare system is what the, is what uh, a lot of libertarians would say. But, I don't know, why don't you just make no taxes? Because Americans having money in their own pocket, they'll make better decisions with it than a bunch of politicians up there who are using it for political gain, right? Um, anyway... Universal child care, pre-K, and I was like thinking to myself when they were saying that, like, yeah, what we need is more government raising our babies, you know? We need cradle-to-grave type thing, cradle-to-grave. Um, they all they already do such a great job with our kids at the public schools, right? Um, which, my kids are, I, my kids are very intelligent. Uh, they do go to public schools, I will admit that. I apologize for all you true blue libertarians out there. Uh, but my kids do go to public school. But then again, we drill our kids. Like, our expectations are A's. We don't have an expectation of a C or a B. Our expectation is an A. And our kids live up to that. But then again, my kids, I don't know, they, they, sky, they score very high on tests and stuff like, like these. Um, not IQ tests. I don't think they do IQ tests anymore. But like these standardized tests that they do for the kids um, to see where you're at. Like the 99th percentile and stuff. And they're both pretty pretty far into that into the 90s so on both on all the subjects so that's pretty good i feel great about the kids because of that but um last thing i but then again my kids stayed home with a nanny for like the first four years four or five years of their lives as well um so 
maybe they were raised better than some of these kids that are in you know pre-k and uh, stuff like that when they're stuck in a in a child care home for their entire lives but just because the government's paying for it i'm sure it'll be a great system at that point you know Pete Buttigieg, mandatory national service. That is one of the things that he talked about right at the end. And I was just like, oh my God. I don't think that. I that That's the last thing we need is mandatory national service. I guess that could go right along with uh, Bernie Sanders' federal jobs guarantee though, huh? So the topics that were covered though, I'll go through this list pretty fast and I'll just kind of blow through it and give you some highlights of what these people talked about, okay? Um, I'm, I divided it up into three hours of, of the show because... 8 to 9, 9 to 10, 10 to 11, and <clears throat> how many times did I decide that I was going to turn this thing off and just keep on going? Um, about a hundred times, because it was all stuff that we heard in the past, it's all stuff that, if you're a libertarian, you're just like, oh my god, I can't stand listening to these people talk. But the first thing they talked about, first hour, first 35, 40 minutes of it or so, was the impeachment, um, all the candidates support impeachment. Every one of them pretty much is saying, oh, well, it's because we have to f- deal with the Constitution and we cut. The, the best answer that I found, though, the the only one that answered it in a way that I was thinking, yeah, that works for me, is um, Elizabeth Warren. She said it's letting all presidents, even the future presidents, know that they are not above the law. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. You want to rein in the president so that future presidents won't take advantage of it, right? But I don't think any politician ever felt that way. And that, that was that was interesting to me because you it is true that whatever you let a president get away with now, just like in the early 1900s in the progressive, progressive era, they let the presidents get away with so much. And that set the that set the um the baseline for the next president on just how far they can go. And when that, when that president went above that baseline, that's the new baseline. And so forth. Until you get, you know, Franklin Roosevelt with a new deal and all that. And then you get, you know, the presidents in the 1950s and the 1960s with the security state that we have. And the, you know, with forming the FBI and the CIA and all these different spy organizations and stuff like that's the precedent that they set at that point so then we get to Donald Trump who might be doing stuff that is outside the bounds of the law or whatever I don't know I mean I, I, I he hasn't been tried in court uh, you see some of the stuff that they talk about and if that is in fact true and those things come to pass then yeah maybe there are some things that he's doing that's outside the rules and the law and you need to um you need to hold him accountable for those things, but uh, just doing the in- investigation, she says that the impeachment is all about getting, letting the president know they're not above the law, and you know that to me that's good because it allows that president to know that he's not above the law, but it's also setting the precedent for the other presidents next. But that was the only one that seemed good. The other ones were just like, oh yeah, he's a bad guy and this and that, you know. Um, but you gotta try the, you gotta try it and see. You gotta let. Both sides present their case, and and I, I I'm one of those ones in almost every situation. Even if it's like a a guy goes and shoots his wife in the street, you know, I still yes, you still kind of have to say innocent until proven guilty. You got to figure out the facts at that point, present it in front of a jury, your peers, and go. And I don't think that would happen in a case like a um an impeachment. Though that's not how impeachments work. So anyway, so you have the 
different. So the impeachment was the first topic in the first hour. Then they said, um, should the president's family be involved in foreign businesses? Um, Joe Biden, that was specifically directed at him, but he kind of went around that question and basically went back to the president being impeached and all that. Then they got into economic issues. They said um, about tax plans, and then that's when they really started getting into um, the tax plans of Elizabeth Warren, right? Elizabeth Warren was very dodgy on this entire debate during this section about her tax plan and how she's going to pay for Medicare for all. Because Medicare for all is going to cost $30 trillion over 10 years. So, or it's over $30 trillion over 10 years. I think it was like $3.5 trillion a year. And the government only takes in like $3.5 trillion a year or something like that. So you have to borrow all that money, right? And uh, they were saying, well, how are you going to raise that money? How are you going to do that without taxing everybody? Is there going to be a tax on everybody? And she would not say yes. Bernie Sanders would say yes. He even said yes, that you would have to tax everybody. But um, Elizabeth Warren, she just kept on dodging it. And they gave her five or four or five chances to make amends on that and just say it. Yes, I admit it. You'll have to tax people. But if you tax them and their taxes are $10,000 a year, but their insurance premiums are this amount a year, then it'll, then the cost will even itself out for most, even some people will, it'll cost less or most people will cost less. Like if she would have just broke down the numbers like that, at least you could see that she's being honest about it, but she's being very dodgy. And I think that it stuck out big time. It do. I think it really stuck out big time that she was trying to be dodgy on that particular question. Um, all the other candidates, they're somewhere in between Medicare for all, like Bernie Sanders is, and then most of the other candidates seem like, that ones they asked the question to, they seem like they were Medicare for all who want it, um, or some basically are making a public option available on the like the Obamacare exchanges. I think that's what um, Joe Biden's idea is. And he says, at one point in the debate, I thought this was absolutely hilarious, he said, we can't afford Medicare for all, something like that, but we can afford Medicare, or a public option on the Obamacare exchange. We can afford that, but we can't afford this. All I was thinking to myself is, you're saying that we can afford something, we can't afford something, with all these promises, all these people stick their heads in the sand on this particular issue, and the main thing is they stick their heads in the sand on the fact that our country is a trillion dollar deficit every single year, and that they're $22 trillion in debt. If I went to my wife and I said, yeah, you know, we're we're $100,000 in debt right now, honey, but... I just want you to know that we can afford a new car. She would look at me and laugh. She would absolutely look at me and laugh because we can't afford a new car when you're when you're hugely in debt like that. You know, we have a hundred thousand dollars in debt sitting there in credit card debt. Should we go out and pay this stuff off now and start working towards that, or should we buy? Or no, we could afford a new car, honey. No problem. I love how politicians just stick their head in the sand over stuff like that it drives me absolutely crazy absolutely crazy then they talked about the sanders federal job guarantee most of the candidates were not really for a federal jobs guarantee 
Um, I think Andrew Yang had a pretty good response to that as well. He said that about Bernie Sanders' job guarantee. He basically said that if you had a jobs guarantee, it does not help out. I actually said that earlier, right? So, um, but it doesn't help out the people that are sitting there, you know, taking care of their kids and stuff like that. So, a federal jobs guarantee is actually a bad thing. Um, but then he also says you need to put the. You, what happens is, what happens is like the three point five million truckers that might be losing their jobs to automated trucking soon, right? Do you give them a federal jobs guarantee? Like, what do you do? We need to figure out how to deal with these people in the new economy rather than just having some federal jobs guarantee where people go dig holes, fill them back in, and dig them back up again, you know? Uh, that was about the most interesting part of that part of the debate. It wasn't really, you know, like I said, nobody's going head-to-head -head against each other. They got into some trade issues and stuff like that as well. Um... And then the next topic was like, uh, is your? they asked Bernie Sanders if your goal is to tax billionaires out of existence. And Bernie Sanders pretty much apolog unapologetically said yes. But then all these candidates really started saying, like even Tom Steyer, who is a billionaire, said, I am for higher taxes on billionaires. I am for a wealth tax. Yes, I absolutely am. Andrew Yang had the, the balls to say it. He said, listen... A wealth tax did not work in many countries over in Europe. They got rid of it. It didn't work there. It won't work here. It's not a solution that's even viable to have a wealth tax. There has to be other ways to bring that income in as well. But you know what I think drives me crazy about this entire debate? But a wealth tax or Andrew Yang, the way he said you need to figure out other ways to bring in revenue. Like They talk about, in government, they talk about we need to bring in more revenue we need to bring in more taxes. Like, those taxes are coming directly from the economy. Those taxes are coming directly from your wallet, my wallet, businesses' wallet, other people's wallets, and so forth. That's money that could have been spent in the economy elsewhere. They all talk about that. Like, it's their money. Like, they have the power, like, they have this power that they should just be able to have access to all that capital, and what you get to keep is because they decided not to take it. And that's, that just drives me absolutely crazy. So that was one of the ones they talked about as well, taxing billionaires out of business or out of existence. Uh, Bernie Sanders says yes. Um, some people kind of pushed back on it as well. Uh, I know Joe Biden would kind of like said, you know, what? It's um, we don't need to demonize the rich or all that. But you know what? He needs to get the rich people's uh, donations. So he's not going to go down that far, right? Uh, will a wealth tax work? People talked about that. I kind of mentioned the one person that mentioned that it would be, it wouldn't work is uh, Andrew Yang. Other people said that, you know, it's not some. We need to figure out other ways to get that revenue. So we already talked about that as well. Um, and then you had the. Then they talked about government, um, or the opioid use and the opioid crisis that's going on right now and how how it should be resolved and how it should be fixed. And a lot of people said that you should put the like the presidents of these companies into prison and so forth um it kind of takes the 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 main thing is is andrew yang actually said it decriminalizing this so that it becomes not a not an issue of um like decriminalizing criminalizing having small possession of some type of opioid, opioid so it doesn't become a criminal issue it becomes a treatment issue at that point
because people are terrified of of going to prison because they have a couple of pills in their pocket, you know? Um, but that was the first hour. And then I, I kind of slowed down my paying attention by the second hour because I was about to shoot myself and it was nine o'clock and I was just like, I just got to make it through two more hours. Please help me, you know? So, um, I got through the second hour though. Thank goodness they brought up foreign policy for the second hour. Because it just reeled me back in. I was like, alright, good. Foreign policy, this is what I like. We might get Tulsi Gabbard out here to say something that's uh, provocative, you know? That's what I was hoping for. Um, seems like every single Democrat was perfectly okay with intervention everywhere. Like, now that Donald Trump pulled a couple dozen troops away from the border of border of Turkey when they were in Syria and Turkey invaded the Kurdish area, the Kurdish region of Syria. Um, and you know, now it looks like America turned on an ally. Turkey's the ally, by the way, just so you guys know, um, the Kurds are like, as if they're, they're not, they're not their own country by any means. They're not like a recognized country. They're part of Syria. Like, and they, they actually have, Kurds in Iraq, they have Kurds in Syria, they have Kurds in Turkey, they have Kurds in Iran. Like, this is like a a cultural group, right? So it's like, like, they're fighting to keep an autonomous region, but they're not, like, recognized as a country. So, um, they're not, like, technically an ally in that sense, like a national ally, whereas Turkey is. Um, I don't agree with what Turkey is doing, obviously, but I don't think that American troops should be in harm's way in the first place, uh, trying to protect a group of people in general, right? Like, it, it, that just leads to the pot boiling even more at that point. So, but anyway, I, th I honestly, I think that there's way more going on behind the scenes than what really meets the eye. Everyone's criticizing Donald Trump for this, but probably Turkey was like, dude, we're going in there. I don't care what you have to say at this point. Um, it has to have been and because that's why it was such a quick rash decision like get him out it's not like Donald Trump woke up at like two in the morning and was like screw it pull him out you know because it happened late at night it's my like early in the morning or something like that is my understanding but anyway besides that point so um when you're listening to all the other candidates talk though all of them except for Tulsi Gabbard all of them were like and even Tulsi Gabbard actually mentioned that towards the end she said that uh, what was going on in Syria is a tragedy and all this stuff, and it shouldn't have been done. Um, but then again, she did mention that we shouldn't have been there in the first place. But all of them, since this ha is happening in Syria, all of them are like, oh my gosh, we need to have American leadership across the world. Uh, there's these power vacuums that are being filled. And all when, when they say these power vac vacuums are being filled by other people, that's just saying that we have a power vacuum in that country in the first place. And when we move, then someone else goes in to fill that fill that void whenever we whenever american troops leave all of a sudden someone else has to come in in this case it was turkey and russia and syria and all these evil people in these those countries versus american troops in there so that power vacuum is filled but is that saying that we just need to leave troops wherever they go we just need to leave them there at all times no matter what at all costs endlessly and Tulsi Gabbard got into a few of them and says, should it be endlessly? Should it? She got into Pete Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren on this. Should it be endless then? At what point do we get out? And I've heard this comment made before by other people as well. At what point do they just get out? 
you have to get out at some point. It's a it's important that you get out at some point. So at what point do you get out? I don't know. I mean that that's that's a foreign policy issue that's hard to deal with, right? But Ron Paul said it. We marched in, we could just march right back out. Let the chips fall where they may. It has to happen at some point. Because you could use the same argument from now until eternity. And I think Tulsi Gabbard is trying to make that point. Uh, she didn't make it as well as I thought she would, or as well as I hoped she would. But I think I'm going to try to find the uh, exact quote that she used as well during the debate. Okay, but anyway, so second hour, they start off with the foreign policy stuff. And I was like, thank God. Um, but the only main thing that happened was the Tulsi Gabbard um, did... She did make a pretty good statement. The only thing is I was left wanting about the statement. So let me actually go try to find the statement. Really? All right, guys, here it is. Last week, you said that American troops should get out of Syria now. You don't agree with how the president handled the withdrawal. What would you have done differently? How would you have pulled out troops without the bloodshed we're seeing now? Well, first of all, we've got to understand the reality of the situation there, which is that the slaughter of the Kurds being done by Turkey is yet another negative consequence of the regime change war that we've been waging in Syria. Donald Trump has the blood of the Kurds on his hand, but so do many of the politicians in our country from both parties who have supported this ongoing regime change war in Syria that started in 2011 along with many in the mainstream media who have been championing and cheerleading this regime change war. Not only that, but uh, New York Times and CNN have also smeared veterans like myself for calling for an end to this regime change war. Uh, just two days ago, the New York Times put out a, an article saying that I'm a, a Russian Assad and an Assad apologist and all these different smears. This morning, a CNN commentator said on national television that I'm an asset of Russia. Completely despicable. So, yeah, she sort of called it out. I said I was left wanting because I feel like she wasn't saying it with, like, passion and... They, they actually went to, they allowed her to go on about a minute or so, and then they kind of cut her off, and then they pre presented, oh, then she asked, she talked about regime change wars and getting out of these foreign interventions and all that, and uh, then she said to Elizabeth Warren, I would like to ask you if you will agree with me on this. Elizabeth Warren said, yes, I agree that we shouldn't be in the Middle East and everything like that. But then she, Elizabeth Warren, went on and just said, yeah, but it's okay that we're, um, or it's despicable what Donald Trump did and all that. Now, Tulsi Gabbard did say that the blood of the Kurds is on Donald Trump's hands, but she started off by saying that this is a consequence, specifically a consequence of the regime change that's going on, the attempted regime change that's going on in Syria. From the very beginning, 2011 on, uh, Barack Obama was saying that we need to get rid of Assad must go and was, um, you know, basically saying saying those words on an international stage hypes up other people that are like the bad actors from that country or the, the rebels from that country in order to get them to start um, trying to change things. And I'm sure the CIA was in there and stuff as well. But then it turns out 
during this entire regime change thing, the idea was to go in there and fight ISIS, right? And so now we're arming, literally we're, America was, I don't know if any of you guys know this, but literally America was arming ISIS, or not ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and other groups that are the bad guys in Iraq. They're arming those people in Syria. So as soon as they cross the border from Iraq into Syria, they become a good guy, and America's going to arm them to fight against ISIS. But as soon as they cross the border in Iraq, they're the bad guy because they're Al-Qaeda. And Al-Qaeda is the, the group that did 9-11, right? So, I mean, you could almost say that it's treasonous to be arming those people, yet they were doing it. All the consequences are there, and this is just another consequence. Yes, during this last, you know, seven or eight years, America's been arming the Kurds and helping the Kurds out with training and all that. But this is a direct result of the fact that America was trying to intervene into a regime change in that country in the first place. And that's all that Tulsi Gabbard was saying, and no one else would agree with her on that stuff. The fact of the matter is, is America needs to cut ties in that region in the first place, and that's kind of the place that they were going um but yeah that that little back and forth went on for a few minutes pete Buttigieg got in there as well and says i don't know what you're talking about i think that um you're wrong in this idea whatever but tulsi Gower kind of pushed back on him as well um but it wasn't with the passion that i was hoping for i don't know that it's going to help her out in the long run right now by going doing this back and forth just because it didn't seem like it came off came off with passion. I think that she's broken, man. I think that she's exhausted maybe. I don't know. I think that I mean when you're talking about not even going to the debates, if you're talking about boycotting the debates, does that mean that you're just in your mind you're just like, oh my God, look what they're doing to me. They're trying to destroy me. I think that she should stand up. I mean if you're listening, stand up to these people, you know, but I can imagine that it would get exhausting after a while if you were a politician that had three or four hit pieces on you in the New York Times and people talking about you're an asset of the Russian government and all that stuff um, and that you're like a Assad apologist and all this stuff. I mean, it's just um, just terrible what they did to her. But um, that was pretty much the that was pretty much the the, uh, the first part of the second hour. After that, I, I mean, it went on to like. Gun violence is is Russia trying to capitalize on these power vacuums and all that, um, and then they got into the opioid ep- epidemic. That was actually not an hour one; that was an hour two. And then they got into health of the older candidates and they asked Biden and Warren, um, and Bernie Sanders if they feel like they're too old to be the president of the United States and all that. And uh, then they asked Tulsi Gabbard, "You're going to be the youngest president ever if you got elected." They didn't. They didn't ask this to Pete Buttigieg though. Um, are you fit to serve, you know, but they literally asked Kelsey Gabbard, like, one question, maybe two, after she kind of went off on the New York Times after that, because the New York Times should not have put that hit piece out on her like that, I mean, I did an entire show on it, so it was kind of crazy, um, then hour three gets into, like, tech companies, should they be broken up, um, I'm not going to go too much longer, because the show's been going for almost, uh, 40, or a little over 45 minutes now, I think, uh, but they got into like abortion laws and stuff as well. You guys, you know where the candidates stand on like abortion laws and the gun rights thing. I mean, obviously they all want to take away your guns. Uh, like they all want to take away the guns. That's just the way they are. Um, even like Beto O'Rourke said that 
he didn't he thought the american people would just follow the laws and turn in their guns no matter what but then when it really came down to it he admitted yes the police will take away your gun if you go walking around with it like they will come and confiscate it and if you don't give it up then you will be going to jail like and if you try to resist that obviously you'll be shot you know like he was even willing to go that like i don't think he said you'll get shot but they all want to get rid of assault rifles and all that stuff um AKs and AR, ARs are too dangerous to own, is what one of them said. So, uh, you know where they all stand on that stuff, though. The biggest back and forth of all was like the Tulsi Gabbard thing that she did with Elizabeth Warren. Go ahead and look that up and try to listen to it as well. Um, and it went like with that and Pete Buttigieg. Uh, they kind of went back and forth for a few minutes as well. But uh, nothing, like I said, nothing too excited. Nothing too exciting at all, okay? Real quick, who won the debate? Bernie Sanders won the Actually, I don't... Honestly, I don't think anybody won the debate. I don't think anybody really hurt themselves in the debate either. But if I had to pick a winner, I would say Bernie Sanders won because he's been falling in the, po- falling in the polls for the last two weeks since he had this heart attack and put the, put the stints in, right? And um, with that, I think people started to realize that maybe electing him wouldn't be such a good idea if he has bad health. And they were thinking to themselves, yeah, he kind of put his campaign on hold and all that. Um, But he came out there, man, he looked healthy. He was just as obnoxious as he always is with all his top 1% of the 1% and all this, like, and, you know, there's no reason why the rich should be rich and all the socialist stuff that he says. Like, he was just as much of a socialist as he's always been, and he looked healthy, he moved fine, he didn't look like he had a heart attack a couple weeks ago. So I would say that he won because of that, because that's going to help him to rise in the polls again. Other winner, Joe Biden, because he didn't hurt himself. There was a couple times where he like made a little gaffes here and there, but I don't think it was that noticeable, and the only way that someone would notice it is watching the TV show afterwards or something like that, or maybe they'll have a little, some commentary on it for the next couple of days. But if you were actually watching it, Eh, you know, it didn't really go over that bad. He has a big smile on his face. I mean, when someone's smiling, you just overlook all that bad stuff, you know? Oh, that's how politicians are. That's how they... And then Tulsi Gabbard, want, she was a winner as well, as long as the anti-intervention people, the anti-war people get excited about her. That's the only way she wins. Because she was too monot- monotone in her talking when she, was, um, when she was saying that stuff. She didn't say it with, like, emotion. So that's the it didn't so it didn't come off as powerful as it could have come off, but if those people listened to her and heard it and they were like, yeah, man, I am for that. I am totally against these regime change wars. I think that we need to get away from this thing. And you know what? This is just kind of collateral damage in the midst of that, um, because that's the consequences of our actions. That is a consequence of the actions that that we have. Um, then maybe, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure exactly if it's going to be a win for her or not. It might be a loss for her. So I kind of put her in the who won and the who lost category because of that. And then who lost is Tom Steyer. Uh, just because he didn't really help himself out, but he didn't really hurt himself, but he needed to help himself out. And there was a few points where he's like staring into the camera, talking directly to the American people, and I thought that could be powerful if people were, like, fully paying attention. But I think nowadays, if you're anything like me and my wife, and we're on the couch watching a little bit of TV, 
that we watch at night, like we're literally sitting there just flipping through Facebook and looking on our iPads and doing this or doing that. Like that's what we do when we're sitting in front of the TV, right? Multitasking. So staring at the the screen doesn't help out that much. But then again, who knows? And then you got Elizabeth Warren, who's a loser as well. The only reason why I say that. The woman knows what she's talking about when it comes to these issues, right? Like, she is, um, she knows her policies, it seems like to me, pretty well. But she's a very educated woman, so she should understand that stuff. She should have been, she should be a very good communicator of her message. The only thing is, is that she got attacked on that Medicare for All and how, like, the taxation is along with it. And she was very dodgy on it. They gave her five or six chances to answer it without dodging the question, and she still dodged the question, so... Uh, I think that it was a very awkward moment for her, and it was at the beginning of the debate as well. So a lot of people were still tuned into the debate at that point, so it might not have helped her out at all. And then the other person that might have been a loser was Tulsi Gabbard, because what she said might not have might not have um, spurred her supporters on. All the other ones, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that any of the other ones, the other six people that were on the debate stage, I don't know that they had like a superb night by any means they didn't have a terrible night either there was like no clear losers no clear winners um everyone was kind of playing it safe in some way i think beto o'rourke when he was talking he came off not so scripted this time every time i've ever heard him talk he seems very scripted um so i think he's got his message down pretty well so he might have done himself a little bit of a service today because of that but, like, Julian Castro, eh, you know, he won't be on that debate stage very long. And then you got uh, Andrew Yang. I mean, he he came off pretty good as well. Um, he just doesn't seem presidential. Like, he, he seems like the ideas guy. He's just the ideas guy. And someone else is going to take his ideas and run them. Maybe he'll be, like, a cabinet member official or something like that. Who knows? But... Um, anyway, guys, I appreciate all the people that continue to listen to the show. Uh, a lot of people, new people always seem like they're listening to the debate shows. So go ahead. If it's your first time listening, subscribe to the show so you can hear the show tomorrow. Check out some of the shows that I've done previous to this as well. Um, check me out, iontheempire.com. And you can check me out Facebook and Twitter at iontheempire as well, okay? And then um, right at iontheempire is my website or my email address if you want to go ahead and uh, shoot me an email. Supporting the show is easy. You just go to iontheempire.com. There is a support link there. You could also do it at anchor.fm slash ion2020. Uh, check that out, all right? And then uh, you keep on coming back every day, and you'll have clear vision for 2020. Okay, it's official. First Year in Sales with Ray Eaton. The website is up, firstyearinsales.com, as well as the podcast, First Year in Sales. So, if you know somebody or if you happen to be in sales you might as well go ahead and check this thing out right because it is going to help you become a better salesperson by grounding you with the habits and the skills needed to be successful in sales especially in your first year but even if you're not in your first year might as well check it out because then you'll be able to get back to the basics and getting back to the basics is key in sales i've always felt that way so Go ahead and check it out. First Year in Sales is ready, and it's a podcast, and you can do firstyearinsales.com.